Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Hey, look, the Bibles. Let's open up our Bibles as I pray. Lord, would you come and bless this time? Take my mess and turn it into a message. Amen. Are you open up to 1 Timothy? Are you open to 1 Timothy? It's not a trick question. Dennis, your maths is correct. Well done. Your maths from the start, the hours and the minutes, correct. Good reflection. Less than 1% of our week here. Wow. Let us make it worthwhile. No. Oh, thank you, Lord. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 4. So we were having, thank you, Thomas. Uh, don't go to the next one yet, mate. We were having a conversation last week. I shared a story about one of the children in my family, um, and apparently it threw quite a few people. Um, my kids had different people coming up to them saying, was it you? I, I shared a story about a child harness being used and it looking like a puppy dog. If you missed it, just go back and watch last week's service and you see hilarity ensue, I'm sure. It will change your life. Um, but watch the whole sermon, not just that banter at the start. Uh, and so we were sitting around the lunch table as a family afterwards, just kind of reflecting on the story and, um, and different people's response to that story. And then the kids said, oh, so what are you preaching about next week, Dad? I said, oh, actually, I don't know, because I do a week at a time. Like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. And so I looked it up, and this is the theme for today's message. And I, I said, I could just have my whole family sit up here on the platform and just have a conversation, and that would exemplify what living in the madness is like. Is anybody else's family life is like living in the madness? Does anybody else love it that way? I love it. Most of the time, I love it. Most of the time, I love it. Sometimes I'm like, you all have to stop talking, because it's just full on. Uh, but I do love living in the madness of uh, family life and the different aspects and, and diversity that we have, just you know, raising four kids and, and the life that we've had and the life that we get to share um, and the things that we are so different about, um, but the things that we're all quite similar about. And I think as Peter reflected in over communion, um, Jesus is one of the main things that we're, we are all passionate about. Um, and that's, that's a good thing. That's probably what's held us together through thick and thin um, over the years. And I definitely say that in my marriage and in, in our family as well. I'm like, if all else is falling apart, there is one thing that remains the same, and that's Jesus Christ and his love for us. So I'm like, if, if, I've, if I've lost it everywhere else, I'm just going to turn back to Jesus. And probably if I've lost it all everywhere else, it's because I turned away from Jesus in the first place that it's going to rack and ruin. And so as a family, we, uh, we do live in the madness of family life, but we're um, dedicated to being mad with each other, not at each other, um, and being mad for Jesus, being madly in love with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and making his name known wherever we might go. So we do that together as a family. Um, and I realise that not everybody has it like that. That madness, we talk about madness, and everybody will actually interpret or respond to madness in different ways. And some of us would say, well, my life is mad. My life's full of madness. I'm full of madness. Um, and that might not be a positive 
um, light-hearted aspect of life, but that might be a, a tiring, a draining, um, a traumatic kind of madness that actually impacts our lives. And it's too flippant to say, well, if you turn back to Jesus, everything will be okay. And that's quite simply not the case. But the reality is that as we do turn toward Jesus, when we see things through his perspective, we get his perspective on the madness that we're facing in our lives. And he's the one that gives us hope. He's the one that gives us strength. He's the one that gives us wisdom in order to face the madness that we face throughout our lives, whatever that might look like. And it's different for each and every one of us. And it's not necessarily new. It's not a new thing to face the madness that we do face in this world today. And I was having a conversation just this morning with somebody reflecting on um, the fact that Jesus is coming back any minute. We are in the last days. We've been in the last days ever since Jesus ascended into heaven. So the last minute, yes, we're in the last minute. Jesus could come back any minute and he's been doing so for 2,000 years. And so what does it look like to live in the madness with the mindset that we are to be completely devoted to the Lord, preparing for his return? Without that being our absolute focus, my focus isn't on when, if, how Jesus comes back. I've got some ideas, but I'm not the sort that reads books and watches movies and attends seminars about when and how Jesus is going to come back. I know that he will. And there's signs that point to the fact that it could be soon. I kind of feel like there's been signs for a very long time, but different things are falling into place and lining up with biblical prophecy. But I'm kind of on the mi- of the mindset that if I'm focused on when, if, how Jesus... I know there's no if about it. He'll come back. If I'm fixated on that, then I actually become less present less aware, less Christ-like here and now. I'm less equipped to actually equip the body. Part of my role, part of our role as pastoral leadership here at the church is to actually equip the saints for every good service and that we'd actually be unifying the church body, the body of Christ. And if I'm fixated on Jesus coming back and whenever that might be, however that might be, then I actually lose sight of the here and now and what it is to love and live as Jesus called me to live in this moment. And so Paul, as we've looked at over the last few weeks, Paul writes to his spiritual son Timothy and also to Titus. Um, and one of the second letter definitely that Paul writes to Timothy, he writes from prison. Keep that in mind when you read through that second letter, when you read through 2 Timothy, that Paul is writing from prison Most likely the last letter that he wrote, most likely the last letter that he writes to Timothy. And imagine a spiritual father, a spiritual giant, if you like, encouraging his son what it is to live completely devoted to Jesus as he says his final goodbyes. Uh, But we're going to spend a bit of time in 1 Timothy um, and look at a verse from John as well and end up in Titus um, if we have time. 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 6 to 10. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value 
for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance and for this we labour and strive that we have put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe. Um, That verse, this is a trustworthy saying, different translations express that differently, the first part of verse 9. But Paul actually uses that sentence quite a lot in these three epistles that we have. And as I said, different translations will express it differently. He says it about five times in the first letter, once or twice in the second letter, and about three times in his letter um, to Titus. And I love the, um, the assuredness that Paul carries, his dedication and devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message that he wants to convey to Titus. There's no, there's no wishy-washy with Paul. There's no, maybe, or this is what I believe, you can decide for yourself. He's like, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what I have received from Christ Jesus and I pass it on to you that you would labour in faith for the good news of Jesus Christ. And there is a danger permeating through the church worldwide at the moment that we become wishy-washy, as the letter of James says, we're double-minded in our faith, tossed about on the waves, in doubt and in indecision. And a lot of people are going, well, I'm not really sure about the Bible anymore. I'm not really sure about this aspect of Jesus. I'm not sure that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And we talked about some of this last week. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, do not forget these truths that you have been given. Do not forget the faith that has been passed on to you from one generation to the next. Do not forget the prophecies prophecies that were spoken over over you. Do not forget the truths that have been pointed out to you. And he charges Timothy and he says, In light of all the madness happening around you, in light of the persecution, the separation, the division, the false teachers, the liars that come into your community and try and steal, kill and destroy Be a good minister of Christ Jesus and remember the truths of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Do not forget these things, Paul says. And we need this resolute faith that says, okay, there's a whole bunch of different myths and tales and old wives' tales and stories that come out. But I'm going to hold to the truth that I know that is Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour of my life and of the world. That he came to seek and save those who are lost and that Jesus Christ is the son of God there there are churches there are church leaders these days teaching that Jesus Christ isn't the son of God that he is a son of God that he isn't the way the truth and the life but there's multiple ways to God that Jesus wasn't the Messiah but he was part of it not all of it and so there are false teachers leading churches entire communities of believers astray because people aren't actually staying true to the word that god has given us like peter said this morning in communion there's no new angle on the cross we can kind of think about it we can express it in different ways there's no new angle on the cross the death and resurrection of jesus christ and the hope and the salvation that we have because of the price that he paid this is the truth of the matter that we need to hold on to I love uh, Paul's expression to Timothy, um, and I, I kind of communicated this in the church newsletter as well. Like, 
Paul is super active in his faith. I don't know if you've noticed that as you read through it. Um, Uh, Verse 7, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Um, And continually he's using these strong um, doing words, these strong words that are uh, intentional and directive and forthright. And he says, don't be lazy in your faith, Timothy. Don't be pedestrian, but actually be intentional in moving forward as you live your life for Jesus. And I want to encourage us to be of that like mind, that we're not just floating along as followers of Jesus, but we're intentional about seeking him, seeking his face, knowing his purpose, not only for our lives, not for my life, but for us as a church community, and that we would live that out um, in in our daily lives. Verse, I don't have this up there, but verse 15, be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's a good word. We need to be mindful of uh, what we let influence us, the, uh, what, what voices we actually allow into our heads and into our hearts. I don't know about you, but I, I am not the sort of person, I can't watch horror movies they just kind of get in my head and live there for a very long time. I can't remember the last horror movie I, I even watched. But I've got some friends. Oh, no, I love them. I can sit down and watch them and it's just, you know, entertainment and that's fine. I can do away with it. And they'll find like a gospel message in some of the most horrific horror movies. And I'm like, well, you are either super close to Jesus or really messed up. And I, I, I can't figure it out. But um, they, they can do it. Um, there's some, some books that I can't read. There's some people that I can only do in small doses. Mind you, people probably think that about me too. Um, just because I'm, I have to guard my head and my heart about what I'm actually letting in, what's going to influence me, um, so that I can be diligent in going after Jesus in every aspect of my life. And I think... In today's world, it's way, way easier to actually be influenced by having numerous voices come at us. I mean, maybe it's easy if you don't have a smartphone. If you get rid of your smartphone, you get rid of a whole lot of their voices and the influence. But if you turn the TV on, if you're on the internet, I mean, internet news sites and the news articles and the, and the ads are just... I mean, some of them are like horror stories. Um, and so we have to be picky and choosy as followers of Jesus about what we're actually going to give attention to, what we're going to invest our time and our effort and our energy in and our focus on so that we can actually be diligent in these matters, so we can give ourselves wholly to the gospel of Jesus Christ and not be distracted from doing that. Um, McCrindle did some research recently. McCrindle are an Australian um, research organisation. Uh, they do statistics and research on generations and the different generations and how they work and play and learn. And they did some uh, statistics around students and how students learn. And I think it was kind of the most effective learning method or where they got their most information. And so they said uh, 50% learn most from their teachers. And then the second or, th- second or third on the list was TikTok. So not a book, 
not an encyclopedia, TikTok, social media, as influencing people. It was like more than 40%, it was about 48% of our students learn from TikTok. Now, if you don't know what TikTok is, TikTok is um, an app, online app, um, that has videos ranging from 15 seconds to three minutes in length. And some of them are fun and clever and engaging. We've talked about this a few weeks ago when we looked at social media and its influence. But more than 40% of our students, nearly half, are actually learning things through TikTok. Which in itself isn't bad, except this might come as a surprise to you, not everything on TikTok is true or real. But people are going there to learn real stuff and being guided by it. And that's, okay, so I, I want to bake a cake. I'm probably not going to go on TikTok. Like, I'll ask my wife. But people will do that. They'll go, okay, I want to I learn this skill. I'll go on TikTok. Not necessarily, actually, parents rated lower than TikTok. I think it was about 40% will actually learn from their parents. I was glad to see parents at number four, and they weren't completely way down the list. But we also have the gospel being proclaimed through TikTok. And there are Christian social media influencers on TikTok proclaiming the truth. Which, I don't know if you think about this, but if, where the truth is being proclaimed, you can be sure that the lies are also being proclaimed. And so we have a whole generation of people who are disconnecting from the church community and are connecting through an online community where the truth isn't always being proclaimed. And so they'll learn something, they'll see something which kind of makes sense, it's got a glimmer of truth in it. And so they'll say, well, that must be true. Or they know somebody who's struggled with whatever they might be talking about, so they're like, well, I've got a friend that went through that, and that sounds about right, that sounds about true. And so they'll actually hold on to this, whatever's been conveyed through social media, as the truth. And they don't check it against the word. They don't actually come to some wise counsel. They don't go to their parents or their pastors and say, hey, I heard this, what do you think about it? Or they don't go and find it in scripture and go, actually, well, it doesn't line up with God's word. Because we're now in an era, an era where your experience is your truth. We talked about this before, about um, feelings and now trumping truth. And we need, to be, we need to be mindful and intentional and guarding. And if you're, if you're not on social media and you don't care about TikTok, I don't care about TikTok, I'm mindful of its impact on, on a generation. And that's okay. Don't dismiss it and say, whatever, I don't care, it's not impacting me. It's impacting those who come after us. Because it might not be TikTok in years to come. It might be some other platform in some other way. Because our learning methods and our learning styles are changing. And so we have to be mindful of that and praying for the people that come after us. Praying for the leaders to equip the believers. And praying for those believers who are to come that would actually be true to the word. That would continue to gather in community. We'd spend 1% of the week in community worshipping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And hearing his word proclaimed so we would be reminded of the truth of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. As I said before, if you go somewhere or if you hear something and it disagrees with the Bible, it's not the Bible that has to be corrected. It's the other person. 
I can have an opinion. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, I can tell you I'm not the one who's right. Here's a good case in point. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach, Timothy. You are to teach this to the slaves and the masters in your church community and urge on them. He goes on, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. There you go, Paul agrees with me. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So there's a couple of different things that I want to highlight. One of them is that people struggle, there are some people who struggle with the fact that Scripture, Paul, Jesus, don't denounce slavery and don't call it out and say, you know, Christians don't have any slaves. You shouldn't do that. It's not healthy. And so people try and find a, a way to reason it. Paul was countercultural in the advice that he just passed to his spiritual son. For him to actually say, and he wrote to the church in Galatians and said, there are neither slave nor free, male or female, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And created a level playing field. And so for Paul to actually write and say to Timothy and to the church, okay, if you are serving, if you're a slave and you're serving somebody who is part of the same church community, who is, is a brother or sister in Christ, then don't diminish your service just because you know them in your church community. Actually, you should show even more respect to them and work even harder. To actually honour them. And people hearing that in, in first century Jerusalem and hearing that letter, hearing and Timothy reading that and, go, and then sharing that and urging that to the slaves and the slave owners, the masters in the church community, they would have been horrified. We sit here and go, well, I've heard this before. Okay, no reason. We're not slaves. And Actually, as I was reading this and preparing for this, I thought, no, we're not slaves like this, but we're slaves in different ways. We are enslaved in so many other ways, and like in different ways. I couldn't even think how to properly convey this. We're slaves to work. We're enslaved to money. We're enslaved to popular opinion. Some of us are enslaved to our broader family. Because we're so bound by their impact in our lives or the, the priority that those things or those people have in our lives that we actually don't have the freedom that Christ Jesus purchased for us. Does that make sense? And if my first thought, when I come to make a decision or do something or say something or to proclaim Jesus... If my first thought is, what's this going to cost me in money? What's this going to cost me in my job? 
what's this going to cost me in my relationships? If that's my first guiding thought, then I'm not living in freedom to Jesus. I'm enslaved in fear to those things that bind me. And so we don't have slavery as Paul writes about to Timothy. We're enslaved in other, probably more devious ways, I would say. Because for a lot of people, for them, there was, there's a few different aspects of slaves and that's probably a sermon um, on its own and there's a whole kind of historical aspect to slavery and how that played out for them. But we look at it and go, slavery is terrible. And yeah, especially modern day slavery, there's so many different aspects of slavery that's horrible. But for some of them, this was like happy community. For some of them, they, that was, they were a part of the family. They had belonging. They had safety. They had um, food and lodging. And for whatever reason, it might have got them there. And so Paul said, no longer do you get to differentiate between slave and master in the way that you treat one another. Masters, look after your slaves. Slaves, work hard and honour your masters. And the community would have been shocked. at this level playing field that Paul encourages Timothy to urge on them. And Jesus. I've, I don't know if it's just the awareness or what it is, but I feel like more and more of us are bound by, enslaved to popular opinion. And maybe, nah, even here, even here. We, we live in a world now where to disagree with somebody, especially in a public forum, is considered an act of violence. Like, I'm not making this up. And you see fights break out. And it's not even just non-Christians, it's Christians as well. Like, I just don't comment on stuff online because this is just going to go south real fast. And so people being cancelled, people losing their platform, people, people losing their funding because they dared disagree with what somebody else said. And to an extent, well, it's just an unhealthy way to live. Except we've been, I'd say we've been weak as a church, so we've actually allowed some false doctrines, as Paul writes to Timothy and says, if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing, that we've let these things actually creep into the church. And so this is why some of you might be saying, when I stand up and, and Simon stands up or one of the, somebody else stands up and declares the good news of Jesus Christ that we have through his death and resurrection, the life that we have, the freedom that we're meant to live in, and some of you might think, well, that's really basic, I know that. But it's almost becoming revolutionary once again. Because we've got people that will, will pull us away if we give them a moment's opportunity. will pull us away from the truth that we have in Jesus Christ and try and water down the gospel 
We need to be more vigilant. I would say we need to be more vigilant than ever before about holding to the truth that we have through Jesus Christ. Be more vigilant in how we spend time in his word. Be more vigilant in the worship, the dedication that we give to the Father. So it can actually be uh, strong in the battle so we can be forewarned and forearmed, not to pick a fight, don't go looking for fights, but so we can actually speak Jesus like we've been singing about. We can speak Jesus no matter the situation. Paul encourages Timothy, if we read on verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this, all the, all the arguments, all the trappings of life, all the, all the conveniences that um, try and drag him away from the gospel, from um, doing the work that he's been called to do. Flee from all of this and pursue righteousness. This is one of those super active words from Paul again. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love endurance and gentleness fight the good fight of the faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession a lot of goodness here I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. I can imagine, maybe it's just me, but I can imagine Paul writing this down or he's, um, what's the word when you tell somebody else what to type? Describing. Um, Dictating, thank you so much. Look at me Englishing. Um, Paul dictating this to somebody else, and he's like, Oh, this is good. And he's like, Wait, 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 write this down, all right? Um, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, this is good. Keep going. Who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. Oh, Paul, you're doing so well. Whom no one has ever seen who's seen or can see. This is the truth that we need to hold to. It's not just poetic, flowery language. This is why we're alive. This is the God that we serve. This is the one who sets us free. This is the one who so loved the world, including you and me, that he sent his one and only son, so that whoever would believe in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. This is the goodness of God on display. One of the verses that we've uh, come to time and time again is John uh, 13, verse 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone, everyone, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Who do we have to love? One another. We were talking about this, uh, Simon spoke about this a few months ago. And we were talking about it in our life group. We're going over this passage. 
And I've, I don't know why, I've never seen it before. You know you read scripture so many times and then you read it again. It's like, how have I missed that? Jesus here, is, this is during the Last Supper and Jesus is talking with his disciples. He's trained them in their worldwide life-changing ministry. They're equipped for signs and wonders, healings and miracles. They're about to receive power from on high. And so he's giving them their final pep talk um, before he goes to the cross and before they scatter and come back. And so it's kind of quite a pivotal moment. And um, I, I love this time and this discourse that Jesus has with the disciples. And so he gives us this encouragement. He says, this is how you're going to change the world. Sure, signs and wonders, healings and miracles, fantastic, all of that. Live the life that I have lived, even greater things than you will do. This is how to change the world. Love one another. Not even love the world, love the people around you. Love one another. It was so radical, it still is so radical that a group of people could actually gather under one name and love one another that it would actually change the world. Like, of course, you know, I can find other scripture that talks about loving the world around us and reaching out to the lost and and helping those who need help. But Jesus said, you want to change the world? You want to show the world that you are my disciples? Just love one another. That will change everything. And I feel like it was true then and it's true now. It will be true for all eternity because Jesus said it. And it's even more required now because the world is messed up. Because truth is under fire. Because people say something and it's true, even if it's not, because it's true for them. Here's the truth. The word, everyone will know that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ by the way that we love one another. That's easy, isn't it? <laughs> Some of you are like, hang on a minute, you lost me there. Uh, I mean, have you seen the people I'm sitting with? It's not that easy, Jared. No, it's not easy. I understand that. Do you know what, though? It is easier when I love the person before me. Look, I know I have hurt, upset, frustrated some of you. I've hurt, upset, frustrated myself. And some of you have hurt, upset, frustrated me. And it would be easy to say, to say I'm, I'm done. Like, I don't need this. Do you know what makes it possible? Do you know what makes it, I would say, even easier? Because it does make it easier, is the fact that I love you. And dear God, I hope you love me too. This is what gets me through. Not because I'm a good person, but because Jesus loved me and loves me still, I can love all of you. And because I love you, because we can actually gather in the name of Jesus and because we can declare the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ still, where people die to do this, do you know that? Like we argue about the cushioning in the chairs and people are dying to do what we have the privilege of doing right now. Because this will change the world by the way that we love one another. This is how we live in the madness. By loving one another as Jesus first loved us. You okay? All right. One more passage. I was going to 
leave it off, but we need it. Titus, I've gone too far. Titus chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to rules and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one. Slander no one. And be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility toward all people. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. He could have written this today. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Mm. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously, not sparingly, generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But, Paul says, to Titus. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. <laughs> He's self-condemned. They are self-condemned I love Paul's gospel message in this part. When the kindness and love, verse 4, when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Some of you might wonder why I read stuff out twice, because it's that good. You should go home and write this on it. Just write it on a wall. Get a Sharpie and write it on a wall. It will be okay. Mirror's not permanent enough, mate. This needs to be on your wall. If you rent, don't complain to me. You can write it on a mirror. Write it on your fridge. At the risk of, I'm not going to call you out, and please know that I love you, so this isn't about you, this is about this card, but out on the, out on the tables in the foyer, there's some little cards, and this one, you could disagree with me, happy to have a conversation, this one says, God loves me because I'm me, you see that's got a cute little frog, I'm not sure how a frog's meant to inspire me, but... God loves me because I'm me. Now, again, if you put this out, no shame or judgment on you. Just, this is wrong. God doesn't love me because I'm me. 
God loves me because of who he is. God is love. There is no other way in him. He loves me because I'm made in his image, because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made for the works that he set before me. I'm made in his image. I'm a part of his creation. Therefore, he loves me. Not because I'm me. Without God, I'm a mess. Without God, I don't want to know me. How would you want to know me? Without God, it is impossible for me to love you. Without God, it is impossible for you to love me. And without God, it is impossible for us to love one another, that we could actually not only live but thrive in the madness of the world that we live in and reveal the goodness and the glory of God to the world around us. Amen? Amen. All right, now I want to finish up. Um, I talked before about people that are enslaved. And I just want to... I just want to um, I just want to sit here for a bit uh, and finish up with this. If, if, if you're afraid, if there is fear in your life that is a louder voice than the God of love and peace is in your life, we just want to deal with that in this moment. So I just want to invite you to stand. So if, if money is ruling your, your life, if there is an addiction that is ruling your life, if other people's opinions, whether it's someone you love or someone at work or someone in your social life that is ruling your life, if their opinion matters more than the truth that God has spoken over you and about you, then we want to break that off in Jesus' name. So I just want to invite you. I know it's a big, bold move. I just want to invite you to stand, take that step of faith and say, yes, that is me. I want to confess that. I want to repent from that and deal with that in Jesus' name. Good on you, man. Right, so right where you are, I'll just invite you to close your eyes. And to those courageous that stood up. Father, I just release your peace in the name of Jesus. Just invite your Holy Spirit to come and fill these people standing. And we just break off the chains and the shackles of, of slavery and bondage that hold them back in whatever aspect that might be. And declare over you that God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power and love and sound mind, because he has given you his Holy Spirit. And because you have been bought for a price, not a price that you can repay, not a price that you can earn or pay off, but a price that God was willing to pay that he would have you for eternity. And we seal this in Jesus' name. Amen.